Pastor Xavier Ruiz revealing the simple truth. Be sure that your sin will find you out. David attempted to turn the sin of adultery and murder into a benevolent, compassionate move on his part by marrying the pregnant widow to provide a home. David said, man, I did it. I got away with it. Look to the left, look to the right, and he forgot to look up. David, like Moses, forgot to look up. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. There's no truer sentiment about lies than that one from Scottish poet Sir Walter Scott. And oddly enough, no better example of lies and deceit spinning out of control than the one revealed in the pages of Scripture we'll be discussing in our message today. But as our character study continues with the sordid story of David and Bathsheba, Pastor Xavier is able to draw out many positive, simple truths, despite David's turn from triumph to transgression. Let's listen. In this section, we're looking at David's self-centered short-sightedness. But it's a very positive teaching. It teaches us some very great truths that we dare not let slip through our fingers. Pay real close attention. David's rule was characterized by self-centered, short-sightedness. When you get to chapter 11, David committed adultery. It says it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab, his servant, with him. In all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened on the evening that David rose from his bed and walked on the rooftop of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. And so David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her iniquity, and she returned to her house. Follow the progression. It happened, verse 1, when David began to enjoy a bit more comfort at Jerusalem, rather than being out in battle. It happened. His first mistake is, it should have been a check on him. When we start taking a life of ease, more than we should is the first step to falling into sin. Nothing wrong with relaxation. Nothing wrong with fun. Nothing wrong with vacations. But when you get to the point where you think God has done almost everything for you and now you're going to start kicking back, you be careful. Verse 2, it happened very innocently as he strolled on his roof that he saw a beautiful naked woman bathing. Now, there's nothing wrong. You walk out somewhere and you see something, you know, you're not looking for it. But what do you do after you see it? You see? This was the first check by God. As his eyes saw this woman bathing, was his first check. Go inside. Then verse 3, it happened that when David 
sent and inquired about the woman, someone asked, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Implying that it was wrong and he had no right to do what he was doing. This was the second check to repent. Verse 4. It happened that he sent messengers and took her and laid with her. This was the third check prior to laying with her. Now once he began to lay with her, God couldn't get through at all. There was no thought about God. There was no check being heard. And he enjoyed it thoroughly. When he was in his sin. She in no way was innocent, but a party to it. For it does not say that he raped her. No specifics are given, but she was not innocent to the party. Ladies, you are the sentinels of your own purity. A man will take and go as far as you allow him. She followed the Levitical cleansing. The right after sexual intercourse, she bathed, but water can't cleanse her sin, can it? This was the fourth check after committing adultery. It's after it was over that the next check came. Verse 5, it happened that she conceived and she sent and told David. This was the sixth check to repent. Do you get the message? God is always there to check us. The question is, will I pay heed? Because once I go beyond that line, I hear no more checks. I am in it. You fill in the blank. I'm in it. Now secondly, David attempted to cover up his adultery. Verse 6 to 27. Verse 6, David sent word to Joab, as you know, to send Uriah, her husband, home to Jerusalem. This was the seventh check. (laughs) Now, in verse 7, David's question to Uriah were, were unrelated to his person and had to have puzzled Uriah. I mean, why would he call him home and ask him the questions he's going to ask him? You know, it's interesting. Our personal guilt causes us to act and to say foolish things. In an attempt to overcompensate to cover our sin, which often brings greater suspicion or actually gives us away. Guilt is an interesting thing. <laughs> he asked him how Joab was doing. Well, why don't you ask Joab? What would you bring me home for? He asked how the people were doing. But was that sufficient to call him home from a battle? He asked how the war prospered when one of David's generals were probably a better source of information. Something's not adding up here. This was the eighth check to repent. I mean, he's going on with this facade. He's defiled his wife. She's pregnant with this child. He's got her husband here and he's going on like nothing's happening. God is dealing with his heart. So in verse 8 and 9, David dismisses Uriah and told him to go home in hope that he would sleep with his wife and the pregnancy would be covered up, right? 
But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants. Whoa. You got it wired? It's all going to work out. And all of a sudden, there's a twist. Now you've got to cover that hole. Now what do you do? See, when you don't repent, then you've got to keep covering up. You've got to keep doing something to stay ahead of the hound. Verses 10 and 11, David, finding out, asked Uriah why he had not gone in down to his house and declared that he wouldn't think of such a thing. Says the ark, Joab, the soldiers were all in the open field. How could he do such a thing? Whoa, you think that didn't cut David's heart? Uriah was confessing his faithfulness to God, the ark, and the army of David. And the rat king was unfaithful. Wow. You think this was easy for David? I don't think so. If you're a Christian, this is not easy. You keep grieving the Spirit, it is not easy. It is miserable. It is death inside. This was also a sharp rebuke to David by denial of what was rightfully his. He had the right to go in and enjoy his wife. It was his wife. But he denied himself. While David had not denied himself, but in fact enjoyed what was not rightfully his at all. This was the ninth check to repent. And so in verses 12 and 13, David told Uriah to tarry two more days. David's got to keep thinking. Got to get creative. And then he attempted one more time to try get Uriah drunk to avail and having him go sleep with his wife. But he slept with the servants again, verses 12 and 13. What do you do with a guy who's loyal? What do you do with a guy who's faithful? You kill him. That's what you do. And so David resorted to murder. The murder of Uriah, verses 14 through 25. In verse 14 through 17, David, as you know, sent Uriah with his death orders in his own hands, telling Joab to place him in the fiercest part of the battle, retreat the man so that he would be killed. This was the tenth check to repentance as he gives him his orders. Now Joab did exactly as David commanded him. And David was notified, verses 18 through 24, by a messenger from Joab with instructions that if David began to get angry for the death of some of the soldiers due to being so close to the wall, that he was to tell him at that point, Uriah the Hittite's dead also. And so it was done. This was the eleventh check to repent on David. And so David... He attempted to soften his crime to Joab in verse 25 by sending a message not to think of the event as evil in his sight. For men die in warfare and commanded him to strengthen his attack and take the city. David said, man, I did it. I got away with it. It's done. David, like Moses, forgot to look up. Look to the left, look to the right, and he forgot to look up. This was the twelfth check to repent. The problem with this type of arrangement 
is that due to your compromise or mine, like David here, you now have a potential enemy in your midst, a Joab. He holds vital information pertaining to your life that you've compromised with. He has you by the neck. And so your posture will be to not offend, but to appease that person always, because they might give you away. Well, all along, you know that person doesn't respect you any longer because you've compromised rather than confess. David attempted to turn his sin of adultery and murder into a benevolent, compassionate move on his part by marrying the pregnant widow to provide a home for her and her unborn son in verses 26 and 27. (laughs) But it says that Bathsheba's marriage by David was considered evil in the sight of the Lord. This is David the king, the one that got it anointed. Everybody who looked upon him says, isn't David great? Oh, what a king. You know, we're going to have a baby next month. We're going to call him David. We want him to be just like him. One of his soldiers dies. His wife is pregnant. She's not going to have any means. What an incredible man. He takes her in and provides a home. What's highly exalted before the eyes of man is abhorred before the eyes of God, the scriptures tell us. Notice thirdly, when you get to chapter 12, David is exposed by God for his adultery. We know the story of Nathan, know it too well. Verses 1 through 4, Nathan the prophet is sent by God to David to confront him with his sin by telling the parable of the little lamb. We're all aware of it. How he took this one little ewe lamb from this man who loved it, ate with it, slept with it. And yet he took it and he took it from this man and gave it to his guest. Notice that this is about a year since David's rooftop experience. One year. Psalm 32 tells us of his condition. Read it when you get a chance. Miserable. When David heard this parable, his anger was aroused. Verse 5 and 6. And he declared, This man shall surely die and restore fourfold because he had no pity. Nathan pointed his bony prophetic finger and declared, You are the man. Verse 7 and 8. And he proceeded to point out all that God had done for David. He had anointed him over king over Israel. He had delivered from the hand of Saul. He had given him his master's house, his wives, and the house of Israel and Judah. And if that would have been too little, he would have given them more. And so Nathan declares in verses 9 through 11, David's sin and David's judgment. Look at it carefully. Verse 9, he was asked why he had despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Second, he was charged with the murder of Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Third, he had taken Uriah's wife to be his wife. Fourth, he had used his enemy, the Ammonites, to do his murderous deed. Four counts against him. Then followed David's judgment. Verses 10 through 12. Verse 10, he would experience the sword in his house on an ongoing basis, never to depart due to despising God and taking Bathsheba as his wife. 
Verse 11, he would experience adversity against him from his own house by God's hand. Thirdly, verse 11 still, he would see God take his wives before his eyes and give them to his neighbors to lie with them in the sight of the sun. Fourthly, verse 12, he had committed his defilement of Bathsheba in secret. God would defile his wives before all of Israel, which he will do through his son Absalom later on. His sin had been short-sighted in terms of the lifelong misery and consequences that would never go away. Think about that before you jump into something. Look down the road long enough. Don't be short-sighted. Look way down the road. David confesses sin, verse 13 and 15. He acknowledges sin against God on a priority level. First sin, this sin was against God. I have sinned. Read Psalm 51. Against you and only you have I sinned. Sin is primarily against God, then against man. Verse 13, he heard the words of Nathan, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Thirdly, he had given great occasion for the enemy of the Lord to be blasphemed. Verse 14. And also in verse 14, he would see the child die. And then he saw Nathan depart from his house. Verse 15. Busted. No longer hidden. Exposed. I don't think David had a very good life after this. I don't think everybody was for David the way they were before. And it wasn't God's doing. It was David's doing. Don't blame God for your dumb decisions. You did it. Not God. Notice fourthly. Verses 16 down through 23. David is chastened by the death of the child. David interceded, verse 16 and 17, for the child, fasting and praying. He refused to eat. Verses 18 and 19, David perceived the child to be dead. The servants were whispering. They were afraid what he would do. But he asked them. They affirmed his death. And so he arose in verse 20 and 22. And he ate and he cleansed himself, washed himself. The servants were being perplexed. And he told them that while the child was alive, he was seeking God that his grace might be upon him. But David now told him that since the child was dead, he could not bring the child back, but that he would go to the child in verse 23. What an interesting lesson for us when death comes. There's a time of mourning, then we need to move on. Nothing can be done. And so verses 23 to 25, David had comforted Bathsheba, and Solomon was conceived and born. And so verses 23 to 25, David had comforted Bathsheba, and Solomon was conceived and born. And David moved on with his life. In verse 26 to 31, he took the royal city of Ammon and placed them under servitude. You move on in life, but you move on with consequences. Remember that. Don't shine this on in David's life. It's recorded for us for the reason to learn. Notice fifthly, when you get to chapter 13 and 14... David's sin is visited on his own children. And I'm just going to highlight this for you so you see it. But this is not God's punishment on the children. But rather that the children have learned by the experience of David's sinful lifestyle as their parent. And thereby they become more evil in an earlier age. That's the problem. In chapter 13, Abnon raped his daughter, Tamar. Verses 1 through 4. Ammon's unlawful lust for his sister was revealed to his cousin. Amnon longed 
His longing was made possible by the advice of his cousin in verse 5. He gives him the plan how to do it. Amnon requested his father to have Tamar come in and to care for him during his illness in verses 6 through 7. Amnon did so. And then Tamar was sent to go to the room. And there he seduced her, verses 8 down to 14. She pleaded against him, he did not heed. Verses 15 and 17, Amnon's hate for Tamar exceeded his love for her and told her to be gone and had the servants put her out. And so Amnon's sister Tamar bewailed the loss of her virginity, grieved, verse 18, a contradiction to her coat of many colors. And so Absalom, her brother, steps in here. At this point now, the plot to kill Amnon comes in, verses 19 through 39. He comforts her in verse 20, tells her to remain in his house. And then he devises the plan and invites him to a, a feast, but David refuses. Yet he pleads for Amnon to go as he's there. He kills him. The word gets back to David. David is freaking out. The very same man that gave him the plan to rape her says, don't worry about it. Only Amnon is dead, not all of your sons. What a dog. But see, David had been part of the murder of Amnon as well as part of the rape. David did not object. He got angry. He was a bad disciplinarian. He failed as a parent. If you're successful at work but a failure at home, to me, you're a failure. Very, very important to understand that. And so, Absalom fled in verses 34 through 38 to King Gershu. As he began to be missed, then Absalom was allowed to return in chapter 14. Joab put a woman up to tell a story like that of fleeing son who had murdered another. David finally asked her if who put her up to it. said, Joab. He calls Joab. Joab brings back Absalom, but he couldn't see him. So he abode there in Jerusalem. Finally, Absalom was praised by the people. He was cocky. He wanted to see his dad. Joab wouldn't answer, so he sets his fields on fire. He comes and says, what's your problem? He says, listen, I might as well stay away. I can't see my dad. I need to see him. So Joab intervenes. He brings Absalom. Absalom falls on his face. David falls on him and kisses him. Oh, David had ruined his son by his example. He had taken another man's wife. He had killed a man. His house was plagued with the same sins. He was a bad disciplinarian. He had not brought consequences to Amnon for raping Tamar. He had not brought consequences to Absalom for killing Abnon. And now he embraced a son that would one day overthrow him in his kingdom. You remember the monkey that puts his hand in the coconut with the rice. And he is so short-sighted and he refuses to let go of it, so he beats the tree, and in doing that, he calls his captors and loses his life. What a picture of man, short-sighted, doing those things. He not only brings the strike to his own life, but to those around him. David's rule was characterized by self-centered short-sightedness. And so this is what characterized David's rule on the throne. Humble wisdom, Faithful compassion and self-centered short-sightedness. Whoa, what a lesson for us. So important. Pastor Xavier Reese summing up with a reminder that obedience to God brings His blessing and disobedience reaps hardship.
Simple Truths Drawn from 2 Samuel. And today's study is simply titled David Part 6 and is available on CD for just $4. And everything we shared last time will be included as well, so it makes a convenient way to study the message more in depth and at your own pace. The title to ask for once more is David Part 6, or just mention today's date when you get in touch. Request yours by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And please help us by including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time right here with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com